Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series one by one. There will be no spoilers for future episodes, but we will be discussing details from previous episodes. I'm Harrison, the Harrisonager, and that is a bad joke. <laughs> and I'm Jason, and I'm pretty funny, but I should stop that. <laughs> Harrison, what? Great, wonderful episode of Buffy are we watching today? Yes, we are watching Buffy Season 6, Episode 12, Double Meat Palace. This is the one where Buffy gets a job at a local fast food restaurant and seems to suspect uh, that there might be more sinister things than capitalism going on there. Spoiler alert, there isn't. Double Meat Palace was written by our girl Jane Espenson, which is probably one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much, and directed by Nick Mark, with a CK, and originally aired on January 29th, 2002. Hit it. Jason, what are you drinking today? Vodka cranberry. Vodka cranberry. It's a it's a nice, uh, warm but stormy Sunday here in here in Kentucky. So I feel like a vodka cran is a good drink for a a warm but stormy Sunday. Well, thank you. I'm glad you approve of the drink choice. Yeah. I myself have got a cider. I'm drinking a Zappy from Cidergeist. Um. Lively, crisp, and touched with sweetness. Zappy is a modern take on a traditionally fermented hard cider. Simple, refreshing, and delicious. That's you know, what the can says. You know, I was just about to say, like, uh, I've never been a big fan of ciders. I'm just like, you know, if I wanted the cider taste, I'd probably drink apple juice. And then I remembered how much you love apple juice. So I'm like, oh, that's why he likes ciders. <laughs> I fucking love apple juice. And I like, like, hot apple cider. Like, I'm very pro any sort of spiced apple drink. Um, be it alcoholic or not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, a toast. A toast. To restaurant workers everywhere. Hell yeah. Um, they have... Very similar to our toast last yeah, week. Yeah. <laughs> they have hard jobs that are not compensated fairly for all the shit they go through. Speaking of uh, unfair compensation, also give a shout out to all the writers who are striking yes. for the uh, WGA. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Good luck, guys. Cheers. Ah, oh, crisp and refreshing. <laughs> um, the, the beer can did not lie. <laughs> All right, so Jason, I'm just curious. I actually don't know the answer to this. Um, it's amazing. We can still learn new things about each other. All right. Have you ever worked in a fast food restaurant? I have not. I've actually never truly worked in the fast food industry okay. or even in the food industry in general. Um, the closest I ever came was... Uh, getting paid like five bucks plus tips to like bus tables at a at our church's fish fries when mm. i was a kid gotcha i worked at during high school and like the first year i was in college maybe the second year i don't remember i worked during the summers at the jewish community center at their concession uh, their poolside concession uh, situation. And they also occasionally did some like catering stuff with them. Um, 
that job fucking ruled. Like, he's <laughs> like, all of us working there, it was a summer job. All of us working there, with the exception of like the manager, were um, like the same. Like, we were all high school slash like just graduated high school. Um, and most of them were my friends because my um, my aunt was the one who actually ran the kitchen at the Jewish Community Center. So she was like, do you want this summer job to me and a couple of my cousins? And she was like, also, do you have any friends who need a summer job? So it was like, um, it was like a really chill environment. Very much not this, what yeah, we see in this that, episode. That, well, and like, you know, you kind of, the, the, there's no chance of you being a lifer in that job. No. Very similar to, well, sort of similar to uh, when I was, like, my kind of first real job was working at uh, Six Flags Kentucky Kingdom, Mm -hmm. and uh, I worked in retail there, Um, and, you know, the majority of your, like, base workers, um, your team members were uh, in the 16, 17-year-old range. Yeah. Um, And, you know... It's a summer job. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked at, my first, like, real job was Kroger, which I worked there for seven years through high school and college, and oof, I mean... That's that, longer than I've worked any job. That was closer to this experience, what I would, like, the soul-sucking, the, like, fear of becoming a quote-unquote lifer, um, and just to be very clear, anyone who works at these jobs as a long-term career, there's no shade in that, um, but... It was not my ultimate goal, yeah, and I also... I, f- I feel like um, pointing out lifers in this is more of, like, um, people who have... Like, you have to think. Um, you have to think where that joke is coming from. It's coming from, like, writers in Hollywood. Yeah. So you know that they are pretty much just kind of, like, dunking on the experiences that they've had. Oh, absolutely. And it's... I mean, I feel like the lifer mentality is a symptom of the system and the problems with the system not necessarily the jobs themselves right but the lack of dignity that we put on people who work in these jobs um and that is like uh, i mentioned last week when we were teasing this episode i mentioned how that was kind of my big thing um one of the reasons that double me palace when we did TomCon during the uh pandemic why it rang like even more relevant than normal Mm -hmm. that's because i mean you think about uh these fast food jobs we take them for granted so much because to us it's just um it's like the average person it's just like oh i'm going in i'm getting my food and that's it but like you know throw in like the pandemic and how difficult it is to uh like get groceries and everything so Fast food definitely like went up, especially mm-hmm. with um with having like Grubhub and DoorDash and everything. So all of that probably skyrocketed. Yeah. And uh, because people couldn't go to restaurants, like sit down restaurants anymore. And so now like and you know, the fast food places didn't close. Like these workers were expected to come in and mask up and, you know, pre-vax like pre-vaccinations and you know they they kept working at their jobs while everybody else while so many other people were able to just kind of like be at home and work remotely and they didn't get that option Mm -hmm. so and yet like you know and i think that was one of the first times that people were like that the nation truly kind of saw 
well, I would hope that they saw just how important these uh, these workers are yeah. and how much for granted they're taken. Yeah. Um, <sighs> it's all bad. <laughs> Um, so let's type in, um, so this is a very <laughs> polarizing episode for fans. Oh, gee, I wonder why. Um, I think we've made it very clear, though, that, uh, we are fans of it. I think it's just one, I think it's legitimately a funny episode. Oh, no, it totally is. Um, and I think it's, it is a bright spot. It's in a way that Gone was trying to be, but was only moderately successful at. I think this is... A much more successful attempt at lightening the mood in a very bleak season. Yeah, and I, and the way that this episode goes about it, they are able to nail just how life draining us and working the same job mm-hmm. every day can be, and it gets to the point where, with the right score underneath, it can almost seem like. People are being like drained of their lives by mm-hmm. demons or something, but the only demon is capitalism. Yeah, and, and one old li- old lady. Well, yeah, and one <laughs> old lady with a very like Cronenberg, H.R. Giger, uh, John Carpenter mashup of a monster inside yeah. of her head. The um, I want to just give a shout out to Nick Mark, the director, who makes really good use of the fluorescent lighting um, in Which this Spike episode. Comments on yeah, that is that really helps. And a lot of um, a lot of extreme close-ups that are out of the normal for the show's visual language. And we were complaining with um, provider last week about that sh- about that episode really using some strange um, visual language outside of its show's norm in a way that wasn't successful. I think this episode does the same thing, but in far more successful uh manner agreed um so we start the episode at the summer's house um willow is updating xander and anya about the end of the events of gone they um xander's not shocked that warren's a bad guy he's a little surprised (laughs) about jonathan (laughs) and he has no clue who andrew is (laughs) Still a funny joke. <laughs> um, but uh, they, um, Willow and Buffy did go and try to raid their the house, but they have moved on somewhere else. I imagine Warren's mom was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and uh, they, uh, this is when... Um, Buffy comes in. There's, a, there's a help me. Well, there. Well, first, Anya goes on some capitalist. Well, well like, first, um, track. There is some stuff that they left behind. Uh, some magic stuff, mm-hmm. some spell books and parchments, and a couple of enchanted things, which you know, like uh, really pikes up Willow. Uh, but you know, and people are worried, but she's trying to, she's trying to keep it cool. I will say Willow's storyline in this episode. I still hate the magic equals drugs thing, but this episode is stuck with it, but I think it handles it more successfully than what's come before. I wouldn't say that it's a good part of the episode. It's definitely the weakest part of the episode, mm-hmm. but it's like inoffensive. It's yeah. kind of like Chris Pratt as Mario in the new Mario movie. Mm-hmm. It's not like the tragedy that a lot of people were expecting it to be. It's not good. Like nobody will say that Chris Pratt is the best part of the movie. 
but it isn't like if you dislike that movie which I didn't I really enjoyed it it's not going to be that's not going to be the reason that you dislike it <laughs> like it's not it's not actively bringing it down just like Willow's story is not actively bringing down this episode it just there's so much better stuff going on oh yeah I just think we're I, I feel like Jane Espiston was like well, I'm stuck with this, so I'm going to make the most of it. Yeah. Um, and and I do like the way Willow comes out at the end of the episode. I feel both in her conversation, what her speech to Buffy, and in what she says to Amy at the end of the episode. Yeah. Anya goes on a bit of a capitalist screed. Um, I... It would not surprise me if she was, like, just quoting out of the... <laughs> Out of like some old text or something, like it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the Communist Manifesto. Like she wouldn't be quoting Marx. Oh no! But um, I don't know. Possibly the Wealth of Nations. Uh, maybe some Ayn Rand. Yeah. Um, I I will say this is a joke that has both aged extremely poorly and beautifully. <laughs> like, um, like it's it weirdly just makes her like it. I'm, I'm less, um, I find this trait less endearing, but it does actually help enhance her, uh, her struggling to connect with humanity. You know but, what I mean? Yeah, but, but also you have to think, um, you know, looking at how a lot of people view capitalism now, as oh, opposed yeah. to how they viewed it then, it's like, it's not, before it was just a funny quirk about Anya, but now it's like, but now it's just kind of like making capitalism look silly. Yeah, and so yeah, that's I don't I don't think the writers were intending didn't could have predicted that it worked out that way. But no, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, uh, but she's talking about the workers are the tools, um, which cues Buffy to come in in her new uh, work uniform, which is uh, orange striped shirt and pants. And an orange hat with a cartoon cow on it. On the front. On the front. And the back chicken is the butt. chicken feathers. Yeah. And uh, I love this hat. I've I've wanted this hat for so long. <laughs> um, I could probably like you know if I wanted to make one or like commission one, but uh, it would be so much easier to like buy it. Uh, <laughs> but no, like that. That, that is one of my favorite pieces of costume from the show. It's so good. It's so unflattering, but like... <laughs> no, but it's like, it's very much, you can see people wearing those in like some random chain store. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, like McDonald's for the longest time, and I think this is probably like the most parodied one, has like that little line hat that's like folded or something uh-huh uh it's kind of hard to describe it's yeah but um yeah that's kind of the big one yeah i remember when i speaking of <laughs> crappy jobs when i worked at kroger when i first started working there um the uniform was this like awful gray with like a green collar and like red uh like red hemming on the sleeves um and then at some point they moved over to these like blue t-shirts which actually weren't too bad um i think there were some black ones as well in there 
And now it appears that Kroger doesn't even have a uniform anymore. Right. I rarely see people in uniforms when I go to Kroger. Maybe maybe that's like a uh, maybe that's something that's like post COVID. Like they need people to work, but they didn't want to like maybe they just didn't have the resources to give everybody a uniform. Listen, uh, funny story about the Six Flags uniform. So my first year there, it's like your base level was team was team member, mm-hmm. or I think at that point they were trying to really kind of stretch like we're all part of a cast of characters. So you're a cast member but uh you had this was you worked there when it was still six flags correct yes um i stopped working there the last season that it was six flags or excuse me no the season before the last season it was six flags uh but yeah and it was really funny because my first year you had team member or cast member had blue shirts blue polos team leads the next one up had purple polos Supervisors next one up had button down blue shirts. Okay. Um, and then the next two years that I was there, it kind of became like blue blue shirts for everybody for team leaders and team members, and then supervisors would just wear like any um any dress clothes that you had, but you also if you were a guy you had to wear um either the Justice League or the Looney Tunes tie, which I mm. think I still have both of those. Nice. Um, but then, thankfully, I got out of there when I did uh, because the team member uniform the last year, it was Six Flags, was these bright neon yellow polos. Ugh. And they were horrible to look at. Like, I went to the park once during that year as a guest and I was just like, this is blinding. This is an eyesore. Like, they were highlighter yellow. I mean, on one hand, I kind of... I, I get how, in an environment like that, staff visibility is so important. Right. But I feel like what, what you were describing before... You were what you were describing to me. I can visualize that, and I can be like, oh, yeah, I can see how that could be really helpful. The different colors indicating who's what, both for employees and guests. Um... But yeah, that's ooh, that sounds that sounds bad. Well, yeah, it, and like I said, I'm glad that I was not a part of that around. It at <laughs> um, so yes, Buffy has got a job. She is working at the Double Meat Palace now. Have we gotten? Have we had any name drops of Double Meat Palace in the past? I know this is the first time we've ever not that I'm aware visited of. one, but I was curious if maybe there was like not that I'm aware of because I feel like in this show. I would have in this watch through. I would have we would have pointed it out. Been like, yeah, they would have been like oh, double meat palace. Um, but yes, she is introduced uh, to Manny, the manager. It's not a joke; it's just his name. Yes, uh, while uh, she watches the training videos, which for some reason goes into the very graphic depiction of how they get that meat. No need. <laughs> There's no need for your frontline workers to be watching that. Um, I, oh God, I remember when I started working at Kroger and having to go back and sit for like four hours in like a back room somewhere watching just hours of these training, corporate training videos. Um, And then when I worked at the Kentucky Center and was in charge of training, 
let's just say my training was fun. Um, and while there were you some, say. <laughs> there were some videos that had to be watched, we had to watch the "Don't Sexually Harass People" video. I mean, everybody should. Um, and we had to we had to watch the fucking um, uh, "What to Do If There's an Active Shooter" video, which I saw that video so many times. It was pretty traumatizing, actually. Um, actually, there were a few times during training where I would actually just be like, "Hey, y'all." Especially if I had like multiple rounds of training in like the same week, I'd be like, I'm just gonna step out for five minutes while you all watch this because I've seen it a lot. I know what and to it's do with an actor. Really shooter. upsetting. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't envy Buffy this, and so, I hope I'm never in this I this think, position again. So the way that we keep bringing up, oh, this is what it was like where we worked at. Mm-hmm. That's the magic of this episode. Like this episode mm-hmm. is able to nail it. Like, have you ever seen the movie Waiting? Um, no. Okay. Because um, at first I was like, with Carrie Russell, but then I'm like, no, that's Waitress. Um, no, Waiting stars Justin Long and Ryan Reynolds. Okay. I've not seen it. Yeah. I've heard of it, though. No, it is, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hilarious movie, uh, but um, I think one of the things that lends to how much people like it is that so many people can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And we've barely gotten into our summary of the episode, and we already just keep bringing up our own work experiences and how, like, oh, yeah, watching the video, or, oh, yeah, the wacky uniform. And that, like, is able to lend just more power to how fun this episode is. Yeah. And, you know, some people may watch this and like, I don't like watching this. This is, this is, I don't want to be reminded of when I worked at such and such fast food place and fair <laughs> yeah um like that those those jobs can be trauma i mean lord knows buffy gets a little bit of trauma in this one but what 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 does that girl not have trauma right. from at this point <laughs> um so uh yeah she goes to uh she gets a tour of the facility she meets um several of her co-workers um, we get Gary, who's about her age, I would say. Um, seems like a sweet guy. We get this other guy who's quite a bit older. Doesn't, um, can't remember what his name was. I'm gonna call him Greg. Um. <laughs> would you say uh, that he's old Greg? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and there's an older woman there as well, whose name I also didn't there, Yeah, catch. there's the guy who works the grill. Um, and, and, like, these people, as Buffy meets them, are just dead panning it. They are, like... They they walk around almost like zombies. Yeah. And, uh... So, and, I've and, got and yeah, them... one of them even says, when Manny introduces Buffy to them, says, oh, uh, this is Buffy. Like, what happened to the old girl? Emily? Catherine? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what happened to her? And... And Manny's like, we get a lot of turnaround. And it's like, you can use this locker. And there's stuff in it. And he says, like, oh. And Buffy even points out that there's stuff in it. And he says, oh, well, you can throw it away. Or take what you want. Take what you want. (laughs) So we've got Gary. The guy running the grill, his name is Philip. The older woman, her name is Gina. And then there's uh, Timothy, um, Timothy's the guy who's who, the one doing like the dipping the fries. Uh huh. And later takes over. Um, yeah, yeah. T- takes over the fryer. Yeah. When you said dipping the fries, I got confused for a second with the uh, dehydrated pickles. <laughs> um, so yes, he's By the, the way, one who runs What the is fryer. the name of the actor who plays Manny? Because um, he's my all star of the episode. Brent he, Hinkley. His his delivery is pitch perfect. 
normally um, normally just deadpanning a whole fit, a whole performance that can uh, that can rub me the wrong way. It's one of the reasons why I don't like Wes Anderson movies. But the deadpan here is so perfect. He does it fantastic. Even like his most this. Even the thing that he says to be that he's most excited about when he tells Buffy that she's gonna be on the grill is he deadpans it and it's so funny. <laughs> he's like, "You don't need to go in there. You don't need to go in there. Those are the dehydrated pickles. <laughs> That's locked." <laughs> she tries to open the drawer. So this guy played, and I can picture him in my mind. I'm trying to remember what his role is. In the Silence of the Lambs, he plays a character named Officer Murray, and I think he's one of the cops that watches Hannibal Lecter when he cuts the face off. No, I don't think so. I think he's one of the ones that's in the autopsy scene when um, they've got when they discover the like the moth or the cocoon oh, in yeah. the girl's throat. I think he's one of those officers. Um, I believe. Let me see if I've pulled up. That was like 10 years before this. Yeah. Been 90... More than 10 years. 91. Maybe like when he got... Maybe he was so traumatized by that, he started working <laughs> at Dumbly Palace and got that 10-year button. Um, Manny does point out how most of these workers are lifers. They're there to work for life. And uh, as we mentioned before, and he points at his 10-year button and he's like, just think, Buffy, 10 years from now, you can be where I'm at. And Buffy does the great. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm finding I'm finding a, I'm having a hard time nailing down exactly this character, but um, oh no, here he is. Oh, nope, you were right. He is he's one of Lecter's guards. Right. Um, in when they take him to like you know the one he escapes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I win the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think we're all winners after watching this episode. So Buffy, um, she gets assigned to work the um, after her tour. She gets assigned to work the uh, the cash register with Gary, um, who Gary, as someone who spent years as a trainer and training people in jobs, um, you don't just show someone how to do it once and then, and walk, then walk away. away. Um, at the very least, you show them how to do it once, let them do it while you're standing there, and then walk away. I still don't think that's the way to go, but... Um, uh, and especially not after you've, sh- you've rung up one coffee and pie for an old lady, and then go, oh, here's a family of six. They're regulars. Take care of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, Buffy is clearly just immediately overwhelmed um, by all of this. And I don't care what kind of job you're working in. I don't even care how great your training is. I feel like being overwhelmed on your first day at a job. Not a good sign. No, no, no. I'm, I think it's universal. I think the way we're seeing it here is not good. But I think even if you've gotten great training, you're just going to be overwhelmed oh, on the yeah. first day. Well, I think that's just human nature. Yeah, because, I mean, you're, you're like in a, you're in a new place where you're expected to do something that you probably haven't done before even if like when i started working where i am now you know i'm doing i went from i'm working in the same industry as i was before um using a lot of the same softwares i'm still even working with a lot of the same people doing a really similar job and even on my first day i was like 
fuck, do I know how to do this? It's like, yeah, you did it for six years before. You're just doing it in a different place. But I think just change is scary, regardless. Um, And I wasn't even dead for a while. (laughs) By the way, we should at this point mention uh, the Double Meat Palace's signature dish, the Double Meat Medley, which is a large sandwich with an all-beef patty, um, lettuce, tomato, pickles, the secret ingredient, and also the second of the double meats, a processed chicken patty. I have to be honest. Would eat. eat. Yeah. Looks delicious. No, no yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, you don't get that too often. Not uh, really. It's like, what's the, what is it, the land... The land, air, and sea burger from uh, from McDonald's. It's a secret menu item. That's oh. like that's like a presumably a burger, a burger, chicken, chicken patty, and a uh, fillet of fish, like all in one sandwich. I am deeply suspicious of any sandwich that's just called fish sandwich. <laughs> like I wouldn't eat a sandwich called bird sandwich. <laughs> and I know that like. It's cod. Yeah, like, it's, it's always impl- the fried fish sandwich is always implied to be cod unless that's stated otherwise. Yeah, but it's just there's something to me disconcerting about the idea that it's just a fish sandwich. Which fish? Who knows? Kind of like burgers <laughs> typically always associated with beef, but I mean, you know, yeah. they, they have turkey burgers out there. They have impossible burgers, which let's be honest. These are pretty much impossible yeah. burgers, as we'll find out later. Jason made that comment while we were watching. It was like today they'd be like advertising. No, this. no, that would literally be the that would be the thing that would bring you into the Double Meat <laughs> Palace. It's like they would. It probably wouldn't even be called the Double Meat Palace. It'd be called like the the Vegetable Medley Marina or something. <laughs> Marina. Um. Buffy does try to get uh, information on what the secret ingredient is. It's a meat process. That's all anyone will tell her whenever Mm -hmm. she asks. I do think it's funny um, how... It's not really something the episode, like, goes into, but, like, Buffy can't turn those Slayer instincts off. No. Um, And and nor should she. Like, that's her job. Um, that's her real job. <laughs> um, but even when the it's everything that happening is happening around her is completely mundane, wig lady aside, like she's on her guard the moment she steps in there, even before coworkers start disappearing. Yeah, we find out that Xander is a huge fan of the Double Meat Palace. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Uh, a blue collar white guy uh, enjoys enjoys local fast food place. Yeah. So the Scoobies, uh, in this case, we really had to specify which Scoobies we've need, we've been talking about this season because they're all over the map. But it is um, Willow, Xander, Anya, and Dawn. They come to visit um, and give Buffy some support during her first shift, which. Buffy is grateful for, and, and but she, I'm glad. She does share her suspicions. Yeah. And, uh, and Xander saying, hey, I've been here before. This is all normal for the fast food industry. <laughs> yeah. And that's the joke. If you guys missed the joke, like, Xander just spelled it out for you. I personally, you know, if Buffy's fine with them coming to visit, then I'm fine with it. For, for me personally, I would not want anyone I know coming to visit me on my first day on a job. Like, any job. I'd be like, 
I, I need to focus on what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, she appreciates the support, so I appreciate it for her. Um, she, uh, Anya goes on a bit of a rant about being behind on wedding planning. Uh, she specifically suggests maybe they could use the devil meat to cater the wedding. Uh, because she's that. so she's so into it. Well, Anya's about the only person she's not pissed at right now. So. <laughs> Actually, uh, Don seems to have come down from her anger at Willow and Buffy um, after it, last week. Um, it should be said that uh, when uh, when Anya was doing her initial capitalism rant at the beginning of the episode, uh, Xander, you know, made a just a kind of like, oh, another episode of. Another episode of why capitalism is great, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And Willis is like, yep, airing for the rest of your life. And you see this kind of look of discomfort yeah. on Xander's face. And we've kind of seen it dropped a couple of times this season that mm-hmm. as the wedding becomes more and more real, the, uh, like, you know some doubts look like they're creeping in. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, it's kind of just been Xander, but this, we kind of get a little bit of doubt from uh, from Anya after mm-hmm. a visit from her friend that Harrison was so excited to see. How I love her so much. Um, so, yeah, so Anya's wor- big worry right now is that uh, she expected to have a lot of magical help from Willow, and now that's all blown to hell. <laughs> um, and we do see, and Buffy notes, a lot of anxiety out of Willow. Um, while this conversation is happening, she can't keep her hands still. She's like like drumming with straws. Yeah. Um, and uh, she, yeah, so she gives them, she supersizes Xander's meal, gives it to him on the house, sends them off. And uh, later that night, while Buffy is... Uh, the restaurant's pretty dead. Buffy... <laughs> this really just sticks in my craw. Buffy takes off her hat. Um, yeah. Which is um, a big no-no. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I feel like in fast food working in general, you need to wear hair nets. Mm-hmm. It's funny because we just talked about like uh, hair nets on gun. In, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> in a, couple of, a couple Angel episodes ago. But, uh, yeah, it, it just seems like hairnets are kind of required. I think even um, at Six Flags, uh, they did supply you your uniform. If you were working in food, they also supplied you, um, I don't know if it was a hat or a visor. It might have been a visor, oh, but okay. basically a way to, like, you know, shield the shield the food in yeah. some way from, like, you know, your hair and yeah. whatever crap might be in your hair. Yeah. When we worked, when I worked at the Jewish Community Center, while we were inside the like the the stand, regardless of whether we were at the register or at a food station, you had to wear a hat or a hairnet. Like they did not come off while you were inside, yeah. regardless of your station. So <laughs> she was doing that. I was like, "Put the hat back on. It's not sanitary." What if, the, <laughs> what if the health inspector walks in right now? They're going to find some other issues. But. Yeah, but instead of the health inspector, you get Spike. Spike. I, uh, Spike. Every time he comes into a scene, it's so complicated to talk about. Well, he, he basically brings up the same thing that he brought up um, a couple episodes ago when uh, we kept showing, like, you kept seeing Buffy going through all these different, uh, 
like things, whether she tried working at the magic shop, she tried uh, working construction. Uh, what was that? What was the name of that episode? I blanked on it already. Um, Life Serial. Life Serial, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, her story with Spike is Spike saying, oh, you don't need any of that. Like, you're special. You need to, uh, you need to be off, like, doing this. And he basically brings that same uh-huh. shtick into here. And Buffy is trying to say, I need the money. And I'm, I'm torn when he says, I can get money. Like, it's... It's one of the most complicated dynamics in the show at this yeah. point um, because there is some care. There's like legitimate care for Buffy in that. Yeah. But there's also like, you know, he's ready to go to Poundtown again. Yeah. Too, it so. reminds me back in um, in Crush in season five. Drusilla, Buffy has a line about like, you're a vampire, you don't know how to love. And Drusilla has a line that I just, it, I've all, it always stuck out to me where she's like, oh, that's not true. We can love quite well, if not wisely. And so, yeah, I do think he's motivated, motivated by genuine love for Buffy. Um, but he is so misguided in his attempts to express that, that he, um, it's driving me nuts because I'm like. Well, you have to think like the only two people that he's ever loved in his life are Cecily as far as we know, there's Cecily, who we never truly meet. We just know that he likes making poems about. Yeah, her. effulgently, and, effulgent, and uh, and and uh, Drusilla. Yeah, um, I was working really hard not to say Darla. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it, this is driving me nuts because the only thing I can think of is Thelma and Louise in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and that's not the example I'm trying to go for. It's other very famous pair. Um, Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. I was like, it's very clear, at least in this moment, that that's what kind of what Spike is wanting is like this Bonnie and Clyde thing. He wants to drag Ducky down to his level. I mean, it's pretty clear how he plans to get money and nothing legally. Like, <laughs> yeah, and some of that money may or may not be kittens. Yeah, like, but we already know he likes going around town scaring people into giving him money. <laughs> it didn't work on Anya, but like, but also. Uh, Oh man, I was I had a great like thing to add to you. Uh, yeah, he wants to bring her down to his level, um, and he uses the fact that Buffy came back possibly as a demon mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, you, you know, we're the same now. Yeah, he basically he kind of accuses her of taking the job in the first place to put on a pretense of still being a normal girl, um, and I don't which, think that's true at all. Which one could argue is a theme of the show as Buffy even saying about it once more with feeling to be like other girls. Yeah. Like, and you know, this, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think she's necessarily doing this to be like other people, but this is like, you know, the only way that she has to get money. At the yeah. Moment. Oh yeah. I, I absolutely do believe that being apart mother- from like charging for slang. Yeah. I absolutely believe that she is still motivated and has always been, uh, a lot by the desire to be normal but I don't think that's what's motivating this particular job I mean yeah. I, I think it is a she's here by necessity I mean even when she's asked by Manny like why she's here she straight up says I need the money like I it and is you know what that should for entry level positions whether it be in the fast food industry or anything else that should be perfect enough reason yeah because if you're saying anything else I, I would like 75% suspect that you're lying because yeah. the 
I feel like 90% of us would not work if we didn't need money. Exactly. Or we would work, but we would work on things that we were passionate about. Yeah. If we, I, I, I straight up stopped asking that question when I was in charge of hiring for the entry-level position I was hiring. I asked what about the, that job and the organization specifically drew people in. I even would say, yeah, like, what, yeah, why take this job over another one? Yeah, that that was a question I would ask. I um, I would ask what I felt people would bring to the position. Um, or what they hope to get out of it outside of money. And I was straight up said, like, I know you're here for money. Like, yeah. I get that. Because, fun fact, so was I when I was being hired in the <laughs> same position that I'm currently hiring you for. So, like, um, it's a, asking people why they want to do a job, especially a job like that. Some other jobs, maybe working in, like, social services, stuff like that. Those sort of jobs, I am going to want to get a little more... Outside of what's motivating you besides money? Yeah, but if you're talking about like retail or um, the food service industry or, yeah, like like entry-level positions, um, then, yeah, that is the motivation. No one's going to go in and say, I'm deeply devoted to Target. Well, actually. I've met some people (laughs) who are deeply devoted to Target. Now that I say that. Um, (laughs) Bad choice. Bad choice of place. Um... So Buffy shoots him down, um, and uh, she she leaves for the night. Uh, Gary attempts to leave for the night, and is unfortunately attacked by something. 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 Um, we uh, the next day uh, with Gary not at work. Buffy is assigned to the grill. This is my Philip. This is one of my favorite lines in the whole damn episode. Take it away. Buffy, today you're going to be working the grill. She says, but I've never grilled before. Just think, today's the last day you'll ever get to say that. (laughs) (laughs) He's got like, he's doing his same deadpan, but there's just a hint of excitement for her that I think is actually genuine. I think so. And yeah, like I, that's the great thing about Manny is he deadpans it, but you can tell that like he is a character, he's a person who has accepted the position that he's at and derives joy out of it from when he can, especially if there's like this new person that he thinks will be like a great part of the company. Like he says, he says that to her and I, and as much as it's played for a gag, which is a really funny gag, <laughs> it's also, when you think about it, kind of genuine, kind of touching, and really sad when, you know, he gets killed. Oh my gosh, I've never thought about this before, but we can add Manny the manager to the list of people who appeared in one episode, actually believed in Buffy, and then got killed. Technically, he did fire her, but he fired her for good reason. Fair. I mean, that's... I would have fired someone for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Buffy uh, is taught by uh, co-worker Philip on how... Or wait, was this Philip or Timothy? Hold on. Um, this was Philip. Yes. Philip. Oh, uh, he teaches her how to work the grill. It's pretty simple. You put the patties on, you hit the button, you wait for the buzzer, you flip them over, you hit the next button, you uh, wait for the buzzer, you put them on the bun, there's no button for that, and then he goes on a weird 
rant, rant about, about how much grease is going to get on you, including and, in your ears. He had to go see a doctor because so much grease went into his ears. Even asked Buffy to see if he, if she wants to see the inside of his ears. Like, all right, dude, I can find Manny. Uh, I can find Manny uh, charming. Not you though. You're weird. <laughs> I have worked with people like this at, at Kroger. Absolutely had people who just did not know. Like, like yeah, just did not know what was appropriate. I had a, I had an employee who asked a customer if they were OCD. And I had to, like, take them aside and be like, that's not appropriate. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's not appropriate to ask anyone, ever. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, and, I think that OCD became slang for oh, yeah. just, you know, being picky about mm-hmm. stuff or something like or, that. Or over-organized. Yeah, but, like, you know, as of late, I feel like people are actually recognizing it as a true disorder. Yeah. It um, was... Oh, see, some people just don't have a filter. <laughs> also, that also that grill timer. Um, I have seen that in action, even though I've never been in the fast food industry. I've mm. seen it in action at a steak and shake. Okay, I like notice because you know obviously they're doing a lot of steak burgers at once, so they like put the patties down like a whole bunch at a time and then flip them all at once after the timer goes off. Interesting. We never had that at uh, at the Jewish Community Center. I just I had to learn how to grill a burger. Nice. <laughs> Um, hey, that's an important thing. When, yeah, uh, I still when you're can, not when you're not getting paid for it. Like, um, I still can grill a burger. Um, Proud of you. So, um, she Buffy once again does try to get learn more about the secret ingredient, but uh, to no avail. It's, um, it's a meat process. It's it's a process for the meat. It's a process for the meat. That's just what it is. Uh, I like he's like that's just what it's called. <laughs> um, unfortunately for Buffy, she is uh, asked to work a double shift. Uh, she's not asked; she's told. Um, so yeah. So now, but I, we can finally. She gets paid for it, and she gets an extra, an extra medley. Wow, so generous! What a benefits package. <laughs> oh um, man, I would. I would be so worried about working at a fast food place and eating the fast food for lunch every day. Like, that would be... I mean, at first, like, you know... Okay, if I were working at Taco Bell, Taco Bell's probably, like, the fast food place that I go to most frequently. Mm -hmm. In my head, I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, get, like, Taco Bell for lunch every day while I'm working there. I know that I would absolutely grow to hate it. Mm -hmm. And... And also, it would not be healthy for me either. We were allowed to eat literally anything we wanted at JCC uh, for free, um, except for ice cream and candy, um, just because of the, just because of costs for those. Um, also, like, I mean, you know, you can keep ice, you can freeze ice cream and keep the candy, but everything else is probably made like that day. Most so. of it, yeah. Um, but there was enough variety of stuff. Like, we sold hot dogs, we sold pizzas, we sold pizza bagels. It was, it was fucking great uh we had burgers um and then plus like your popcorn and your pretzels and your all those sort of things nachos so it was pretty easy to like keep like uh keep it fresh um plus we were only working like three days a week um um luckily for us less so for buffy we get to leave the devil meat palace for a little bit uh and go over to xander and anya's apartment um, 
Anya's in the other room while Xander's in the living room. Um, and as they're, uh, they're talking, uh, he gets off the phone with Buffy, um, who's letting him know that she has to work a double shift. And I presume he doesn't say what he's been asked to do, but I presume she's been asked to go check in on Dawn. Yeah. Um, and, uh, as he's telling Anya this, uh, we are introduced to Hal Freck, uh, played by one Callie Rocha or Callie Roca. I think it's Rocha. Um, Another vengeance demon. She is a vengeance demon friend of uh, Anya's. Um, fun fact, Kelly Rocha also plays uh, Emma Caulfield's best friend in the film Timer, which we have mentioned here several oh, times. Oh, yeah. Um, go try to find Timer somewhere. It's not streaming anywhere, but... Yeah, at this point, like, probably the only way to see it is pirate it. Uh, which we are not condoning... Yeah. Wink. <laughs> um, but yes, we... it, it, it's it's a meat process. <laughs> Wink. She appears. Uh, she's like, man, I'm here to rip you limb from limb. All this, and then Anya walks, and she's like, how frick? She's like, oh my god, Anyanka. Um. Xander leaves uh, after being introduced to Halfrek, and Anya's like, she's like. So, Anya, um, who's that man with the large upper arms? And Anya's like, oh, that's Sander. I'm, we're getting married. She's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, uh, and yes, Anya explains to Halfrek she didn't, she did not invite her there for vengeance. She invited her to invite, uh, ask her to come to the wedding. I do love how Halfrek's like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. I can't believe I got that mixed up. I love how she says, uh, you know, some things get mixed up all the time. Sometimes I don't even know if I'm killing the right person. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I do like this. Uh, wisely, Xander leaves to let the girls chat. Um, so um, we do, back at the Double Meat, Double Meat Palace, we do have a very brief scene where Buffy... See Spike doing what Spike loves to do, which lurk. is lurk, <laughs> specifically near her, and uh, she gives in. Oh, oh, before that, real quick, um, for the second part of her double shift, she uh, is working the grinder, mm-hmm. and we see that it is a very powerful grinder. Yes. Uh, which will be important for later. <laughs> but yeah, she does give in. She gives in to temptation, and... Uh, Buffy and Spike fuck in the alley. So let's keep a Buffy and Spike fuck tally this season, like in a house, <laughs> in an alley. So I remember, and I brought this up during TomCon, I, when we first talked about this episode. I remember the first time that I saw this, probably thinking the same thing that a lot of people think when they see two people having sex in an alley. Um, gross. <laughs> uh, but the truth is, is that um, I saw something similar in Lovecraft Country. Okay. Um, not necessarily like uh, in an alley, but like the two main characters um, ended up having uh, like you know uh, one of the one of the characters was in um, the bathroom and she's like you know just kind of like washing her hands and the other uh, character the other main character comes in and then they start having sex and I'm like oh that's a little crude isn't it? But um, the uh, the when 
with Lovecraft Country, because there was so much stuff about race that I wasn't familiar with, I watched this um, kind of like accompanying companion podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, the two people talking about it, um, both black women, talked about how they thought that this scene was beautiful. And it really kind of made me start think uh, to think about that. Like, think about, like, you know, stuff that's um, uh, impolitely called quickies. Mm -hmm. um, which could apply to both of those scenarios. And, yeah, it is, like, is it, like, kind of, you know, gross to think about, like, you know, having sex in a place that isn't, like, on a bed or something? Uh, a little bit. But at the same time, what they're trying to show, um, I think, in this instance, is that Buffy is in a place where that is going to take up a lot of her time. Um, and, you know, a job like that, if any of the other employees are any indication, can be soul-crushing. And so she decides to kind of, like, find any kind of relief, happiness, mm -hmm. whatever you call it, um, anywhere that she can. And that's just kind of her trying to have a little brief moment of... If, if, at the very least, release. Yeah. Um, at the very most, joy. I mean, I don't think she probably doesn't take joy from it, but I mean, she takes some enjoyment from it. Yeah. And so, like, I, it, it really kind of that that experience in Lovecraft Country really kind of like reshaped how I looked at the scene. And also, it's another thing that you think about people who work these jobs. Typically, I would have to. I would probably say that. Based on what I've heard, that's probably not their only job. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, we live in a country where, you know, working a minimum wage job is not enough. It's not a living wage. We Minimum wage jobs are not living wage jobs. So people often have to work two or three jobs. So they don't have time to have relationships or barely have time to see their kids. So, I mean, this they have to, like, you know, take the moments when they can. Yeah. And it's like, I wouldn't necessarily call it, like, you know, some people might, going back to the scene, some people might look at it and think, like, ew, gross. But, like, honestly, it's just kind of sad that yeah. this is, like, this is all that she can get at the moment. And it's kind of sad to think about how a lot of other people are like that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, I'm a big bummer, but I, I know. Like, well, I, we're, I've six. thought a lot about this. I've thought a lot about this episode. <laughs> For some reason, like, you know, the big episodes of season six, like, you know, once more feeling tabula rasa, they get to me. Um, but this one always kind of stood out as this interesting blend of comedy, but like dark. It's grim. Yeah. It's dark, grim like, comedy. Yeah like, yeah. like dark comedy that is like deadpanned. Um, like a really specific type of humor that is so easy to mess up but that they nail incredibly but also I mean when you look at it it is like kind of an examination of the plight of the modern worker mm -hmm. and yeah even though this even though this episode like aired in 2002 if anything things have gotten worse for workers yeah uh, at Summer's Home Amy pays a visit. Uh, we don't get to see this, but apparently Don was a, 
real rude to her. <laughs> I wish we Good. hadn't seen that. <laughs> uh, Amy comes... It's like, ew, rat girl. <laughs> uh, Amy actually comes by asking Willow if she could have her cage back. Which I, like, a therapist could have read a paper on that. Like, She's like, it's not much, but it's home. <laughs> um, I... I get that, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, is it unhealthy? More than likely. <laughs> uh, but I, I kind of understand it. Yeah. So, uh, but before she leaves, Amy's like, by the way, happy birthday. Uh, Willow's like, oh, it's not my birthday, but on the, on the now that you mention it, Buffy's is coming <laughs> up. Funny. But, yeah, Amy uh, gives Willow a non-consensual boost of, like, magic that Willow cannot control. It's the equivalent of trying, of, like, peer pressuring your friend into doing more magic, doing more (laughs) drugs against their will. I don't know. It's almost the equivalent to taking the needle and stabbing them with it. Or maybe, like, maybe, like, throwing a roofie in a drink or something. It's weird. I don't like it. A magic Um, roofie. Um, but I think that just really highlights how clumsy this whole metaphor is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, Willow's eyes turn black, which of course we know is, uh, it's never been good when Willow's eyes have turned black. Um, back at the Double Meat Palace, uh, as Buffy is grinding in the meat grinder, she discovers... A human finger. Um, she uh, she confronts Manny with this, and he's like, "Listen, it's a meat process. Don't worry about it." So Buffy goes full Soylent Green. Okay, so she definitely should have said something about you know finding the finger in the meat. That is that is legit like a health code. There. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, that is that is important. However, her like going full on soiling green, double meat is people. <laughs> uh, that is our second soiling green reference on this podcast because I believe um, wasn't soiling green one of the uh, one of the Charlton Heston double feature films that. Uh, that Angel and Fred went to? I believe so. I believe so. I think it was Soylent Green and... Um, Omega Men? Omega Men. I think that was yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I just feel bad for people who lost their sodas and all this. The innocent sodas. They didn't do anything wrong. They were just carbonated beverages. Um, and, and it's so funny because, you know, Buffy keeps saying, like, it's all... It's all people, and the and the the lady who ordered the coffee at the beginning of the episode is like, "What about the cherry pie?" Um, uh, not shockingly, uh, Buffy does lose her job over this. Um, and you know what? Completely fair. Yeah, like, I, that is not how you deal. <laughs> like, honestly, if you need to freak out, yeah, freak out, but don't like. Don't forget. I need to be really careful. I say this because there are probably people who would be like, if I found a finger in in a meat grinder, I would be freaking the hell out as well. Uh, she's also on like hour like fifteen of a shift. Um, at Anya and Xander's place, Anya and Halfrek are having some tea um, and spilling some tea. Uh, tea. Uh, Halfrek is pretty um, suspicious of Xander and Anya's relationship. And um, 
throughout their conversation, to Halfrick's credit, she does pick up on some red flags about the way that Xander does talk to Anya. Um, and to Anya's credit, Anya does point out that she's taking those without a lot of context and uh, and really not knowing Xander as a whole. Um, it reminded me of being on a Reddit thread. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I think I think some of the things that Alfred points out about the way Xander sometimes is overly critical of Anya, I do think there's value in that. And we've pointed that out as well. Yeah. But at the same time, Xander is frequently Anya's guide to navigating the human world. And Anya has mentioned before that, especially around, like, you know, the Watcher's Council and everything, um, how nervous she would be mm-hmm. if somebody found out that she was, in fact, a former vengeance demon. So, and... So, like, you know, Xander may, like, lack lack tact from time to be really careful I said that lack tact lack tact he may be uh, lactating (laughs) (laughs) that's honestly what I was afraid I would say (laughs) he he may lack tact from time to time but uh, he a lot of what he does say is meant to be like hey that's not what a normal human would say yeah I think he's just kind of got into the the rhythm where it's like almost he says it in a joking manner like not the time or not the best thing to say like yeah. he kind of says that as a reflex now he does yeah Anya definitely needs help navigating the um the social contract essentially um don't we all and yeah um and I agree I think I don't think Xander is wrong in helping her navigate that but he yeah he sometimes doesn't go about it the best way um and Anya doesn't necessarily stick up for herself. Yeah. When she says, uh, when Xander says something, maybe a little tasteless. Um, at the, oh, I should mention that Willow is just like accidentally melting things when she touches them. All right, moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Buffy gets to the magic box uh, and is appalled to learn that the emergency Scooby meeting that she has called has only been attended by Xander and Dawn. Listen, no offense meant to Xander and Dawn, but I'd be appalled if they were the only two who showed up too. I'm sorry, you're not the most useful. Yeah, I like how Dawn is like always showing up because she's like, at this point, a honorary Scooby. She's like, like, Scooby meeting, that must be me. (laughs) Um, She uh, explained, she has a double meet medley with her she puts it down on the table. She explains the situation. She explains what she found. Uh, but not quite in time for Xander not to have eaten the whole fucking burger. <laughs> God damn it, Xander. Those things are huge. They're huge. Like, no, I would... Look, I when I get fast food, I can put away a lot of fast food. But that is a large Ooh. burger by any standard. And that would require at least like... Even I think the most spirited eater would take like at least five or ten minutes to eat that. Yeah. He's down that in like two. Um, Willow does arrive uh, late. Um, they explain the situation. Buffy's going to go back. The double meat palace is closed. 
Um, but she's going to go and just investigate the, the scene while uh, Willow is going to take the trace and mounts of meat left on the wrapper that Sandra left behind in horror. Um, he wasn't one of those people that licks the wrapper right? um, She is going to uh, use science and nothing else to yeah. determine if it is in fact human meat. She also melts a pencil. Yeah, she this... wibbly wobblies a pencil. She like rubberizes <laughs> it. At this point, uh, Dawn and Xander have this Really kind of poignant conversation. I, this is actually, this conversation between Don and Xander is maybe one of my favorite scenes in the episode. Agree, it's really I, good. I, Don expresses, she talks about her, her friend Janice, previous guest star, Amber Tamblin, uh, how her older sister is a lawyer. Uh, Xander's like, you're right, I should sue them. <laughs> um, but no, she's like, yeah, Buffy's, because Buffy is um, has this destiny, she's pretty much destined to a life of shitty minimum wage jobs. Because she doesn't have the... And obviously we know that Buffy is dependable, but she doesn't have the dependability for a job that's any higher than just kind of like one of these entry-level jobs. Exactly. Um, and... I love and because Don is I love what I love about this is Don is both um sad for Buffy, but also she's like kind of recognizing like, you know, that's you know, that's a luxury that I have, that's a privilege that I have, is I d I'm not burdened by that. Um and I it's it's complicated. And I think the scene could have gone wrong really easily. Um if uh, if Dawn had been like smug or I don't know what, but Dawn, it's it just very, Dawn's just really reflecting on the facts of the situation um, and kind of recognizing them for the first time and really seriously recognizing the burden her sister is under. It, it's a great point of maturing for Dawn. Yeah. Um, uh, and then Sanders like, then you can get a great job and and support your deadbeat sister. sister. <laughs> um, so, oh, a classic Xander singer. <laughs> um, Anya shows up uh, while uh, this is happening. Willow is using uh, chemistry to to determine uh, what the situation is. Um, she, not you can tell, Yeah, you can tell it's chemistry and not magic because it's so damn slow. I do like... Uh, Anya's a little um, frazzled at the moment. Uh -huh. And basically, like, anytime Xander kind of, like, chimes into a conversation, she kind of immediately uh, turns back on him and brings up one of the things that Hallie broke up. Yeah. Brought up, excuse me. Um, he did actually make a mention, talking to Buffy, uh, he did make a comment about Halfrick's appearance, wondering if that's what Anya looked like. Uh, Faint. uh, and then he foolishly makes the same comments to Anya, which offends her. I think rightfully so. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think a, a healthy conversation could have been had about if healthy conversations were happening this season, this season wouldn't be happening. <laughs> but, but like, I actually do think at some point Anya has an entire history and culture that she comes from that 
Xander seems to take very little interest in outside of like, almost fear and maybe a little contempt, which on one hand, I mean, fair when when they're singing, I'll never tell. Um, like uh, they say, like, am I dream? Uh, I think uh, Anya says, am I dreaming? And and Xander says, am I marrying a demon? Yeah. It's like you know, he's so often he so often views. We see him so often view Anya as just like, oh, here's this person trying to be human, but it's like not often that he like just kind of vocally visualizes her as a demon. Yeah. Like he doesn't vocally identify her as a demon that much. And it's easily could be something that he tries to just forget mm-hmm. about. It's like, cause you know, he doesn't bring that up too much anymore. Like, I yeah. guess he's kind of like in his head, hoping that she's conforming to this human lifestyle mm-hmm. and just like completely throwing that behind. But you know, most of her guests for the wedding are going to be demons yeah. from several different planes of existence. Yeah. And, you know, this is another time where it's like, there's so much nuance here. Because, yes, that's her past. That's where she came from. And I feel like he should embrace it and learn more about it. But it's not hard to understand why when that past includes a millennium of mayhem and murder, <laughs> you might be a little tentative to want to go down that road. Um, so, uh, Willow's, uh, Willow creates some sort of, uh, compound that if it is human, uh, should react in a certain way. It has no reaction at all. And Buff Willow's like, it's supposed well, to react to weird. proteins in human blood. Yeah. And it has um, zero reaction. Zero reaction. She sees cellulose, which, uh, for those of you who don't remember your, uh, freshman biology, mm-hmm. Uh, cellulose is often uh, found in cell walls, which are present in plants. Over at the double meet, Buffy finds the poor severed foot of Manny the manager. R.I.P. Manny the manager. Um, I suppose it's possible he's still alive somewhere, but seems unlikely. Well, it seems like the uh, whatever has been... Which we're about to find yeah. out what has been eating these uh, these people's like kind of disguising the remains by putting them into the grinder. Yeah. So Buffy finds what she thinks is a, a scalp. scalp, and then she realizes, oh, it's a wig. And then she goes, "Wig lady, I this is a missed opportunity for the employee, someone to have called." Buffy or someone to have called this woman wig lady before this scene because she has the line where she's like oh I do hope that's not what people are calling yeah me. but this is the first time we've heard somebody <laughs> call her that yeah um so uh yes it is wig lady uh, which is how she is credited uh, the, the woman who ordered the coffee and the cherry pie and yeah. who was worried that the cherry pie was human she uh which I like to think was just her fucking trolling oh it totally was <laughs> totally uh, she has a giant, uh, actually, I love this. This is a lamprey-like demonic appendage. Ooh, that is a good way yeah. to describe it. Thank you, Buffy Wiki. Um, she explains, uh, that it shoots a paralyzing liquid, which she uses on Buffy, uh, allows her to eat slowly. She loves the double meat employees. 
Um, because they're so covered in grease, and they eat so much of that greasy food that they go down easy. Yes, and the turnover is fast and quick, so it's not. She doesn't arouse a lot of suspicion. She's really like, she's got a good thing going mm-hmm. until now. Um, well, nobody ever suspected the Slayer to start slinging <laughs> yeah. burgers. Um, Willow shows up and is trying to talk to Buffy through the like uh, drive-through speaker, and she explains that it's yeah, it's not meat, it's not human, it's just processed vegetables, and uh, she also tells Buffy, uh, not knowing that Buffy is about to be eaten by a giant penis monster. Um, that, uh, about what happened with Amy. And I am, even though I'm, all this, I'm just like, ugh. I'm so happy with Willow for communicating and saying how she felt about the situation and that she felt shame, even though it wasn't her fault. She still felt ashamed of it. And I was just like, yes, Willow, this is the kind of communication we need. (laughs) Um... But she does hear the ruckus inside. Um, Can I talk about how much I love the design of this monster? Yeah, fuck it. It's 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 awesome. great. Like I mentioned, um, it's got like that Cronenberg quality. uh, But at the same time, uh, it's got like, it's got like even closer to the body horror of John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. And like the monster itself looks like, kind of like a, a xenomorph. Yeah. Um, like H.R. H.R. Geiger's design for uh, for Alien, and it's just all of those. If you put all those influences together, you're gonna get a <laughs> rad looking practical effect monster. Yeah, I was gonna say if there's any CGI here, it's used sparingly, um, and it's maybe pro- like fast movement of the creature, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Like you don't even see you, you you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah, and I. I was going to say, fast movement of the creature and then erasing whatever wires and puppetry are controlling it. Yeah, I think it looks great. I love the design. I I, love the way... I especially love, like, so um, Willow comes in, she's able to dodge, like, the paralyzing agent, and uh, she's able to cut off the... Cut off the lamprey from the head of of Wig Lady. And then they, uh, Buffy and Willow, throw it into the grinder... And just, like, for one second, it head pops up. Yeah. And I'm like, that's perfect. Perfect. That is exactly what you should be doing with that. It gave me the fucking, in Star Wars. And oh, the, yeah, the, the thing. The, is, the trash compactor. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it goes to mulch fast. It's all gro- gooey and green. I love that. Look what you've done to me. <laughs> presumably, Willow and Buffy also have to dispose of the rest of Wig Lady. Um, but, um... The next day, Amy comes by, and she's like, yeah, you liked it. And Willow's like, no, I fucking didn't. Um, and she's like, you know, listen, Amy, if you're my friend, I really think you, like, you're not good for me. You need to stay away from me. And then she says, if you're not my friend, you really need to stay away from me. Yeah, Amy, you also kind of get the feeling that Amy really needs Willow, too. Um, and she's trying to make this, like, crazy codependent relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where she even throw tries to throw some guilt at Willow for not being able to turn her into a human again for yeah. a while. Uh, but yeah, Willow Willow's not taking the bait. She's not taking the bait. She's not but, going to that mouse trap. She's like, I didn't turn you into a rat, Will Amy. You turned, you yourself, turned yourself into a rat. rat. 
Um, there were we were seconds from being rescued from that pyre. Um, well, actually, Buffy did the rescue. I, I'm remembering now. Uh, Xander and Oz tried um, valiantly. Buffy does return to the Double Meat Palace to turn in her uniform. The new manager, Lorraine, is there. Um, and she's like, so, most people don't even fucking bother. Yeah. So, um, I I think this actress does a great job. Yeah. However, it's a bit part, but. However, I feel like this is, and you know, I say it's a missed opportunity. Like, Buffy can just pull in whatever guest stars they want. <laughs> but I, I say, like, think of, like, having Laura Dern or Gina Davis just randomly in this role for like this one scene and it, it's kind of perfect no listen i will say uh gina davis at this time probably no way this was post ellen and laura dern did have because laura dern was in the episode uh the puppy episode which is the one where ellen comes out mm-hmm. um and she's gone on record as uh, laura dern is that she struggled to actually get jobs for a little while after that mm-hmm. which is crazy like yeah she's laura dern um but I, people just have to remember that we are living in a bit of a laura dern's renaissance and she had enlightened and that led into like uh like she had wild then big little lies really and then, like, she brought it home with Marriage Story. Yeah. So, like, it's not that Laura Dern was ever out of the spotlight. But, like, it's only within the last ten years or so that she's really gotten back into the heyday that she had in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, because, yeah, she had a bit of a setback after the bullshit controversy over a lesbian episode of Ellen. Which, I know that at the time, Ellen was not out. That's... But regardless, um, all of that is to say that Laura Dern making a cameo in 2002 on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I don't think is as outlandish as okay. as, as you might as it might sound like. Um, Gina Davis probably less so, um, or more just, so. I, I said Gina Davis because she gave me the actress gave me Gina Davis vibes. Yeah, I love Gina Davis. Um, she was the only person in Showgirls who knew what movie she was making. Um, <laughs> oh, man. You would think that Kyle MacLachlan would know by now, but with, with all of like the David Lynchiness that has been in his career, <laughs> but jeez. Uh, uh, also, speaking of Thelma and Louise, uh, <laughs> um, so Buffy does say, like, you know, she, she apologizes for the quote-unquote prank that she pulled. And then she's like, oh, by the way, uh, the secret ingredient's just vegetables? And uh, Lorraine's like... You almost said Laura Dern, didn't you? I, uh, <laughs> uh, Lorraine. She's like, would door, you close please. the door, please? And, and it's so funny. She's like, what do you want? And <laughs> Well, she explains that uh, the vegetables are processed and then beef broth is uh-huh. added for, for flavor. The, the flavor. So technically, beef is the secret ingredient <laughs> yeah. of the double meat medley. Um, Buffy explains she just wants money. Um, <laughs> and then she, has, she backtracks and she's like, no, 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 yeah, not because, like that. Yeah, because Lorraine's like, you want money? Like, <laughs> you're going to extort me? 
I've worked here for five years. I'm a regional manager. Um, but no, Buffy's just like, she just wants a job. Um, to which Lagrane, Lagrane, I was saying Lorraine agrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, she agrees, provided uh, Buffy pulls no more pranks. Uh, and she's like, you keep your. You keep probably your you sign an NDA as well. well probably. <laughs> That's the next scene we don't see. Uh, but yeah, she's just like, yeah, you you keep your toe in line. You could end up just like me. And she like points to her five year chip, and Buffy's like, I like how you eight. say it's a chip. Like, it's like a it, pin, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> you make it sound like, uh, oh yeah, I'm like a recovering addict. Yeah, so that's my five year chip. A chip is not the best. Yeah, a pin is more accurate. And yeah, that is where we leave Double Meat Palace. I truly think this episode is a hidden treasure of not just season six, but of the show in general. Mm-hmm. And like to the and I think that um, I don't know, like probably because like I I first saw this episode with Ben when like we were having the TomCon. Maybe Ben didn't have the reaction to it that he did, but uh, when Scott had like the reaction, it really did seem like his eyes were kind of being open to like. This episode kind of rocks, <laughs> and, and I and I hope that that does that to some people who listen to this, like because it. I think it is just like a fun. It's it's an episode that's good in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I and I think I do think this episode actually has had a resurgence in popularity. I feel like I see like on the Buffy subreddit sometimes well, people also, like, oh, I love this episode. Also, I think season six in general has had like a yes a resurgence in popularity because I mean I feel like you could ask when this was airing and maybe even like a few years after you could ask somebody like, oh, what's your least favorite season of Buffy? And a lot of people would throw out season six. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that since people are kind of used to the departure that it took from traditional Buffy storytelling up to that mm-hmm. point, and they're kind of like seeing season six for what it is and not for what it isn't, yeah. I think more people have kind of like gotten along with it. And, you know, like the the fan base has aged. And, and they have depression. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and age... And age, like, makes you look at even stuff that you've seen before differently. It's funny because I do know for a lot of people, the argument that they make sometimes is, like, they don't like seeing Buffy go through this. And, like, fair. I don't like seeing Buffy go through it either. But especially as I've gotten older and, you know, life has hit me hard sometimes, especially the last couple years of the pandemic. And, you know, my career trajectory took a turn that I wasn't expecting after I got laid off from my job and, like, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, my own struggles with mental health, which I don't really talk about a lot on here because I've largely got it a good handle on it. But, you know, like I deal with some depression and anxiety sometimes. And in a way, it's almost comforting to see Buffy go through it. I don't like it, but it's like, well, if Buffy's struggling, she's Buffy. Yeah. Like, it could happen to any of us. And I would also say that, um, I mean, I'm trying not to be spoilery about this. But if, um, I think that what Buffy goes through in this season, if the, if the payoff was disappointing, um, then I would understand people being mm-hmm. more upset about this season, which I mean, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why I dislike season four so much because mm-hmm. so much of season four kind of felt like it went nowhere, especially the main plot with the initiative and ugh, Adam. Yeah. But, uh... I believe 
what Buffy goes through in season six not only has a good payoff, not saying what it is, um, in, at the end of season six, but also I think even leads to yet more of a reason why, um, as I re-examine the finale of the show, mm-hmm. why overall you have great payoff. Yeah. So, again, it may be a very mild spoiler, but hopefully you guys... Hopefully you guys like take solace in the fact that there is, um, I believe that there is good payoff at the end of the series and this season as well. I agree. I agree. Um, what would you grade Double Meat Palace? I'm going to give it 4.5 Double Meat Medleys out of 5. Um, I'm, it, it sounds like as much as I love it, <laughs> I, I want to give it 5. However, I think that the Willow stuff um, again, it doesn't necessarily bring the up. Ep- it doesn't like make the episode bad. It just it stops the episode from being like near perfect mm-hmm. or even like perfect. I because I feel like I feel like all the stuff with Buffy and the Double Meat Palace is why I love this episode. But you also get like an interesting chapter in the Xander Anya story, which hasn't mm-hmm. been featured as much this season. Yeah. And it's a welcome chapter, uh, but the like the Willow stuff, while it has like you know a good feel to it of her like kind of overcoming it, it just also kind of seems like oh it's there yeah, and we're just still you know no no matter how you know Jane as we've mentioned Jane Espenson is one of our favorite writers on the show. I mean I see Jane's name in an episode credits, and I'm I'm like I know we're. Mostly, and for a good time. Um, it's... The, the story of Willow's magical drug addiction is just misguided in conception. So, I, like, I, I think it being relatively inoffensive in an episode is about as good as it yeah. can be. Yeah, like, the... The, the drug, like, this addiction to magic equals addiction to drugs. I mean, even in episodes where it's the front and center of the story, it's still hard to enjoy. Yeah. And so, like, something where it's, like, barely a part of it, again, like, you're, the best case scenario is, oh, it didn't detract from anything else in the episode. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this episode four severed penis monsters out of five um yeah it's just it's really fun it's uh it's a good time and um outside of some minor nitpicks i like i don't have i don't have massive flaws with it i just have a good time with it all right anything else? i i really enjoy that this episode feels like now whether it was or not i don't i don't think i'll ever know but it definitely feels like it was written by people who have personal experience mm-hmm. in the fast food industry or in like that kind of industry in general, like retail, service, anything like yeah. that. Yeah. And I might do some digging it, and see if I can find it, out. It feels genuine. Yeah, I agree. Um all right, who's taking us out? You're taking uh, us out. I guess I take me home tonight. Um, thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We'll be back next week with Angel Season 3, Episode 13, Waiting in the Wings. Yeah. Giggity. I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman. 
and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. And I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamij 357 And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy, or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out in all those instances. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. And each week, we like to give a shout-out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. This week, we are highlighting the Wage Justice Center. The Wage Justice Center provides legal representation to low-income workers and extensive legal information and consultation about recovery of unpaid wages. The center also provides education and materials regarding wage rights to low-income workers, advocates, and other community groups. Visit www.wagejustice.org for more information. And as always, go slay and be gay.